Welcome to the PAS Report Weekly Roundup Podcast. The PAS Report provides an honest analysis on the critical issues that matter to you without the biased media filters. Here's your host, Professor Nicholas Giordano. And welcome to the PAS Report Weekly Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Giordano, and I want to wish everyone out there a happy Independence Day. I want to thank you for joining us this holiday week. And while we are releasing this episode on July 3rd, because tomorrow is the 4th of July, I just want you to take a moment. So I want you to enjoy tomorrow. I want you to enjoy the barbecues, the fireworks shows, spending time with family and friends. And that's nice. But at the same time, I also want you to remember what what we're celebrating. And I hope each and every one of you out there takes, you know, just a half hour or so to reflect on the importance of this day. Because... It's something that we take for granted. And today's episode, uh, one thing that you'll begin to recognize with this podcast as we continue to go along is all the issues are intertwined with each other. And every episode relates to a larger message. So in honor of Independence Day, I'm going to explore the increasing fascist movement attempting to silence debate in the United States. I want to reacquaint Americans and uh, with the freedoms that we hold precious, as well as the document that started it all, the Declaration of Independence. I want to explore the idea of American exceptionalism, the idea that we're the greatest country in the world to ever exist. You know, unfortunately, the idea of American exceptionalism has become taboo in modern times, but I'm not ashamed to say that we are the greatest country. How many of you would like to live in Afghanistan or North Korea or Libya? Show me other countries that have the immigration problem that we have here. There's a reason that everyone wants to come to the United States. Now, as always, if you want the show notes, you want to see the sources that I use, you can visit us at PASReport.com. So let's look at the rise of this fascist movement that's occurring here in the United States, because if you didn't listen to last week's episode, I suggest you do so, because we're living through perilous times. And last week, I highlighted the five areas of censorship that we're starting to witness here in the United States, from speech codes to banning people from speaking at events and on college campuses, to corporate activism, where corporations are taking stands on social and political issues. And they're actually refusing to do business with those that they disagree with. There's a movement afoot, uh, the, uh, the Sleeping Giants, the Open Society Foundation, that's putting pressure on businesses, uh, that there's going to be boycotts if they continue to advertise on platforms and on per- with personalities that they disagree with. And we all know about the tech manipulation that's going on. The technology giants, Google, Twitter, Instagram, Microsoft, uh, they manipulate the technology in order to try and get people to see one political viewpoint over another. And four events this week actually validated everything I spoke about last week. So one event was uh, Antifa. Okay, so this is the anti-fascist. And they attacked several people, including conservative journalist Andy Ngo. uh, And it was all based on political ideology. You know, they call themselves Antifa. They claim that they are the anti-fascist, that they're trying to stop fascists from rising up. And they explain that they're the warriors on the front line and that they use direct engagement tactics. And these tactics, they include bullying, harassment, assault of individuals. And all they're trying to do is shut down and silence ideologies that they disagree with. So if they disagree with you, they just label you a fascist. And we even have some in the media that have not necessarily praised the organization, but not they haven't condemned the organization. And this is a very violent organization. And think about their mission. 
They're the warriors on the front line to stop the anti-fascists. I mean, to me, it reminds me of the whole idea of Al-Qaeda, where the Al-Qaeda is the holy warriors and they're fighting for something bigger than themselves and attempt to create their utopia, what they deem as right and just. That's exactly what the fascists do. That's exactly what Antifa is doing. Okay, and it's pretty ironic that they can't debate the merits of any type of issue. They can't come up with any cohesive arguments to prove their point of view is correct. And so they use any other means necessary to silence others. And for those that don't know, fascism is the forcible suppression of opposition. And they want a strong regimentation of society and of the economy. Fascism is nothing more than power and control, and that's what these... Antifa members want. They don't like the United States. They think the United States is an unjust nation. They don't like the United States economy. They don't like the idea of capitalism. They don't like the idea of free markets. And anyone that disagrees with them, they're going to shut them down. Okay? And they're going to use bullying tactics and assault to do it. Another event that we witnessed this week was uh, Congresswoman Frederica Wilson, who's actively calling for shutting down and persecuting those who dare to mock the elites of Congress. She says, you cannot mock Congress. Now, here is Congresswoman Wilson in her own words. Take a second to listen. Those people who are online making fun of members of Congress are a disgrace. And there's no need for anyone to think that is unacceptable. We're going to shut them down and work with whoever it is to shut them down, and they should be prosecuted. You cannot intimidate members of Congress, threaten members of Congress. Now, when I heard this, I was astounded. Uh, I think that Congressman, Congresswoman Wilson needs to take an exam, one of the exams I give on the United States Constitution. And I would challenge her that if she takes the exam, if she fails, she's got to resign from Congress immediately. Because one of the things that we hold dear is to call out Congress when we don't like the job that they're doing. And if we begin to prosecute people for criticizing and mocking Congress, I'm a dead man because I routinely do it day in and day out in my classrooms. I'm constantly mocking both Republicans and Democrats. It's actually my job to criticize Congress. It's my civic duty to question members of Congress. And it is my God-given right to call out mock and ridicule members of Congress when I believe they are wrong, when they are calling detention centers concentration camps. I can do that. I have every right to do that under the United States Constitution, particularly First Amendment, freedom of speech. And these members of Congress need to realize that they're public servants. They're not higher than us. They actually work for us. It's important for us to respect members of Congress because Congresswoman Wilson is right. You can't threaten a member of Congress. Those people should be prosecuted. But I have every right to criticize Congress. And I criticize both Democrats and Republicans. I just got into it with someone on Twitter the other day because they were slamming Democrats for the immigration problem. And so I said, well, it's not just Democrats. You have to include Republicans, too. They have power. They had control, too. And they did nothing for this problem as well. And so we could criticize members of Congress And we could hold them accountable. That's our job. That's our civic duty. Could you imagine if President Trump came out and President Trump said, I'm going to prosecute all those that insult me, all those that mock me or ridicule me? Okay, the media would be apoplectic. They would, oh, he's a dictator. He's trying to take over. 
But yet, when Congresswoman Wilson makes this remark, all you hear is deafening silence from the media. Shows you their bias. Another example of the increasing censorship and sanitation of our history occurred in Charlottesville, Virginia. Now, Charlottesville obviously was the site where you had these uh, alt-right groups. You had some neo-Nazis there. You did have white supremacists there. Uh, You also had Antifa members there and other groups that were protesting the protesters. Well, Charlottesville, Virginia announced that they would no longer recognize and celebrate Thomas Jefferson's birthday because of his history as a slave owner. Once again, if you listen to the episode from last week, you'll know that it's not about slavery because these people have no clue what the history of the United States and slavery is. And I'll talk about Thomas Jefferson in a little bit. Okay, it's about the idea of America that they don't like. That's why they're trying to sanitize history. That's why they're trying to get rid of speaking in in good terms, holding up our founding fathers as principles that we should abide by. Okay, this is the author of the Declaration of Independence. This is the reason that we celebrate July 4th each and every year. And yet, they don't want to acknowledge that one of our main founding fathers, they don't want to acknowledge their birthday. Okay, now while they continue to use the slaveholders as as an excuse, it's disdain for what we were founded on. That's what they don't like. That's the key. And then the big story happened yesterday when Nike decided that they were going to pull a shoe that they created in honor of July 4th. Now, the shoe design, there was nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's not a shoe that I would like, but the shoe design included the original flag of the United States representing the 13 colonies. And the flag was the one that was created by Betsy Ross. Now, following a complaint from Colin Kaepernick, they pulled the shoe. Because Colin Kaepernick, the great historian, someone that knows all about American history and race relations and civil rights, the great historian of Colin Kaepernick said that the shoe represents slavery. That's what he said. Now, I don't think Nike should be taking the cues from a moron who wore a shirt praising Fidel Castro saying like minds think alike. And then when he was called out on it, he tried to justify it and say, well, he was just talking about all the good things he does for Cuba. Obviously, he doesn't agree with the bad things that Fidel Castro did. Okay? Nike shouldn't take their cue from someone who had socks depicting police officers as pigs. He's not someone that has the knowledge of what the United States really stands for. But he is a product of the American education system just like Congresswoman AOC is. And unfortunately, the education system has collapsed, especially when we're talking about American history, American government, American politics. You know, stupidity is on the rise. And unfortunately, it's having a devastating effect throughout our society. Woodrow Wilson Institute did a study, and these numbers are scary. And once again, if you want to know the sourcing I use, just go to pasreport.com. Click on the show notes and you'll be able to see exactly where I get my information. And only 27% of those under the age of 45 were able to demonstrate some basic knowledge of American history. Some basic knowledge of American history. Four in ten Americans can pass a citizenship exam. So six fail. 25% of Americans did not know freedom of speech was guaranteed under First Amendment protections. And 85% of Americans 
don't even know the year the United States Constitution was written. There are many Americans that think we celebrate July 4th because of our victory in World War II. They don't realize that it was when we declared our independence from Britain. And this lack of knowledge about the United States has led to the oversimplification of important issues. And it's created an open hostility towards the idea that America is a great and exceptional country. You know, many, unfortunately, we, we focus so much on, on the bad things that the United States has done. We focus on slavery. We focus on Native Americans. We focus on Jim Crow laws and segregation. We focus on internment camps. And the, and the vast majority of time is, is now spent in education systems focusing on all the bad things that we've done. And very little attention is given to all the great things that we've done. As a matter of fact, students aren't even assigned in most cases to read the United States Constitution. Okay, so now I get college-age students that come to my courses having never read the United States Constitution. That's despicable. And if we only focus on the negative aspects of the United States, well then, how can you possibly think we're an exceptional nation better than any other nation? How can you possibly think that we are great? And unfortunately, these people don't know that it's the United States changed humanity forever. And we faced years of this type of brainwashing that the United States is a bad country. And we're now seeing the effects of it. So a 2018 Gallup poll found only 47% of U.S. adults are extremely proud to be Americans. Only 47% are extremely proud to be Americans. In 2003, 70% of Americans described themselves as extremely proud. 70%. Now it's only 47%. So what's going on here? Why are we seeing this disdain and hatred? And unfortunately, we got these companies like Nike and people like Colin Kaepernick that are doing a disservice to the United States. Listen, Slavery is abhorrent in any form. There is no excuse or justification for slavery. It goes against everything we stand for in the United States. But America's past issue with slavery is not black and white, pardon the pun. And it's much more complex than people realize. Slavery does not define the United States, and it should not define the United States. You got Colin Kaepernick and his ignorance forcing Nike to pull the patriotic shoe. Well, guess what? This does a disservice to all the black people who fought and died in the American Revolution and other American wars who died for our flag. People like this, like Colin Kaepernick, they, they develop this hatred for a country that they know nothing about. I'll challenge him to a debate any place, any time. And that's why as we celebrate Independence Day with the signing of the Declaration of Independence, it is important to recognize the role that blacks played. Unfortunately, our education system is such a failure that they don't even focus on it. How many of you out there are aware that 5,000 black American patriots took up the cause of independence against the British? 5,000. These are patriots. How many of you are aware that for much of the war, black and white soldiers were integrated in the same regiments? How many of you are aware that the American Revolution began when Crispus Attucks, a black American, a black patriot, was killed at the Boston, Mar Boston Massacre. 
He is the first casualty of the American Revolution. And most people have no idea what his name is. How many people are aware of the role of other black patriots? James Armistead. He served as an American spy. He was a double agent. He was feeding the British wrong information about our movements. And he was giving us information about what the British were doing. Or Peter Salem, another black patriot, who killed the British uh, major John Pekin. You know, the Battle of Bunker Hill. Big battle for the United States. But you never hear Peter Salem's name. What about Lambert Latham, a black patriot who killed a British officer after his American commander was murdered by the British? So this moron, Colin Kaepernick, doesn't like the 13 stars and the 13 stripes on the Betsy Roth's flags. He says it represents slavery. These people were fighting for the vision that the United States was trying to put forward. He's ignorant of American history. And those that praise him are also ignorant of American history. And it's a disservice to these patriots that I just mentioned. They fought and died honorably for this country. When we look at it, consider this. Many of these individuals, they volunteered for the Continental Army. I mean, I want you to think about this for a second. They weren't forced to join the Continental. Here are slaves. Many of them were slaves. And they voluntarily joined the Continental Army to fight against the most powerful military at the time. And while the idea of freedom and liberty sounded nice to them, and while many were told that they would be granted their freedom if they fought for the cause, and many were, there weren't any guarantees to them that they would be granted their freedom. But they fought and died valiantly because of the idea of the United States, the idea of this concept of freedom and liberty. Some argue, well, the slave owners forced them to join the Continental Army. And so they had no choice. But this is a myth. And many slave owners did not want their slaves enlisting because slaves were expensive. And guess what? A dead slave was a useless slave. It was a bad investment. And so a lot of slave owners actually wanted to prevent their slaves from fighting in the American Revolution. You know, the the Colin Kaepernick's of this country... They don't like some of these inconvenient truths that I bring out. They want to make the narrative that the United States is a bad place and was built on slavery. But we have to look at the truth. And while it is true that slavery was legal, it was heavily debated at the founding of this country. Not all states agreed with the concept of slavery. And I got a list of years. I mean, 1777. Now, Vermont was not a state at this time. It was not considered a colony. But in 1777, Vermont outlawed slavery. In 1980, Pennsylvania said any newborn children to slaves were considered free people. In 1783, Massachusetts freed all slaves immediately after the Massachusetts Supreme Court decision based on the Constitution of Massachusetts. In 1783, New Hampshire begins the gradual abolition of slavery. Now, it didn't go quick enough for some, but they started the process. 1784, Connecticut and Rhode Island began the gradual abolition of slavery. 1787, the United States passed the Northwest Ordinance, which outlawed any new slaves in the Northwest Territories. 1794, the Slave Trade Act was passed in Congress, forbidding American ships from engaging in slave trade activities and exporting slaves to foreign ships. In 1800, American citizens were banned from investing and being employed in the international slave trade industry. 
1802, the Ohio State Constitution abolishes slavery. Once again, Ohio was not a state. It wouldn't become a state till 1803. In 1804, New Jersey abolishes slavery. In 1806, Thomas Jefferson, who was a slave owner, and we have to admit that, we have to recognize that, but he called for the criminalizing the international slave trade in his State of the Union address before Congress. And he said, quote, to withdraw the citizens of the United States from all further participation in those violations of human rights which have been so long continued on the unoffending inhabitants of Africa and which the morality, the reputation, and the best interests of our country have long been eager to prescribe. Although no law you may pass can take prohibitory effect till the first day of the year 1808, yet the intervening period is not too long to prevent by timely notice, expeditions, which cannot be completed before that day. And he's referring to Article 1, Section 9 of the United States Constitution, where it talks about slavery being outlawed in 1808. And in 1807, Congress finally passes a law making the international slave trade a felony, That and this bill will go into effect in 1808, and so the importation and exportation of slaves is now made a crime. Sometimes it's enforced, sometimes it's not. That's the stain we have to face. Slavery is a stain on the American record. But once again, facts are facts. Another fact. For those that hate the United States and don't believe that we're an exceptional nation, who like to paint the broad brush of the Founding Fathers as if they were all racist. Well, here's the thing. That's not even close to being true. There was actually heavy debate. Approximately one-third of the Founding Fathers were slave owners. Two-thirds weren't. Staunch opponents to slavery include people like Alexander Hamilton, Patrick Henry, the one who says, give me liberty or give me death. Patrick Henry, in his own words on slavery, quote, I believe a time will come when an opportunity will be afforded to abolish this lamentable evil. Governor Morris of Pennsylvania gave a speech at the Constitutional Convention of 1787 that's entitled The Curse of Slavery. Now, while James Madison was a slave owner, and he never freed his slaves upon his death, like George Washington did, he understood the wrongs of slavery. He stated it was a nefarious institution. It was the curse of heaven in the states where it prevailed. George Mason, John Jay, Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, all these great American thinkers understood the wrongs of slavery. Again, Thomas Jefferson himself. Most people don't know this. But in the original draft version of the Declaration of Independence, he called out slavery as the evil it was. Unfortunately, this piece of the Declaration of Independence was taken out because the delegates from Georgia and North Carolina and a couple of the northern states forced its removal. And he wrote, He has waged a cruel war against human nature itself violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere, or to incur miserable death in their transportation. This piratical warfare of infidel powers is the warfare of the Christian king of Great Britain. Determined to keep open a market where men should be bought and sold, He has prostituted his negative for suppressing every legislative attempt to prohibit or restrain this commerce. And that this assemblage of horrors might want no fact of distinguished eye, he is now exciting those very people to rise in arms among us. 
and to purchase that liberty of which he has deprived them by murdering the people on whom he obstructed, obtruded them, thus paying off former crimes committed again, the liberties of one people, with crimes which he urges them to commit against the lives of another. That was Thomas Jefferson in his own words as he was drawing the Declaration of Independence. And in honor of July 4th, I want to explain and celebrate what makes America exceptional. I want to reignite the patriotism that we should feel by being American. I want to recognize why millions of people put their lives on the line to make this the greatest country in the world. Most importantly, I want to focus on the American political philosophy that revolutionized the world and changed humanity forever. See, here's the thing. If you're in the United States, you actually hit the lottery. The world could be a cruel place. And so let's explore this idea of the Declaration of Independence, and let's explore the tenets of the American creed. Now, before I get into the Declaration, just interesting trivia point. Okay, John Adams said that we should have been celebrating July 2nd, not July 4th. The Continental Congress actually voted to declare our independence from the British crown on July 2nd. And John Adams said, I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shoes, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other end, from this time forward forevermore. And he was talking about July 2nd. The reason it's July 4th is because that's when the actual text of the Declaration was approved by the Continental Congress. Now, I'm going to quickly read the first two paragraphs without interrupting and giving you my thoughts on what it exactly means, because I want you to get a feel for it. So, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of governance. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over the states. 
To prove this, let the facts be submitted to a candid world. Now, it's important to note, I mean, those are the first two paragraphs. I'm not going to get into the grievances against King George, but it's important to note that the Declaration of Independence was not a legally binding document. And what was forged with thought will have to be won by war. But this document lays out the American political philosophy that would revolutionize the world. It would set forth the tenets of the American creed. When anyone asks me, what does it mean to become Americanized? What does it mean to consider yourself American? What is, what is the idea of the melting pot? I always tell them. It's where people from all over the world, with all different cultures, all different ideas, they come to the United States, and they enter this giant melting pot. And when they go through this melting pot, they come out accepting the tenets of the American creed, and that's what makes us American. Now, I want to break down a few of the lines of the Declaration of Independence, point out the tenets of the American creed. So we hold these truths to be self-evident. Okay, so that means that these tenets do not require human or government acceptance to give it its binding force of validity. They're self-evident. We have certain fundamental rights. That all men are created equal. Now, for those that are going to say, see, they were sexist, they said men, they didn't talk about women, you have to understand that man was synonymous with all human beings during that time period. It has nothing to do with sexism. And while we did live in a male-dominated world, a male-dominated society at the time, Man was used as a blanket term. Now, our founding fathers did not literally mean that we are all equal. Obviously, they recognize human beings are different. We're unique in, all, in our own ways. We all think differently and have uh, different hobbies, different talents. What they were saying is that as human beings, we deserve equal dignity and we should be treated with such. Now, I recognize the hypocrisy of this while at the same time we do have slaves But I realized the Declaration of Independence was used as the driving force to end the actual slave trade. And as I stated before, Jefferson did include a provision in the Declaration of Independence calling out the horrors, the evils of slavery. He tried to blame it on King George, but we have to take responsibility for it too. Another line that's important, another tenet, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. We do not derive our rights from government. Every one of you needs to realize that out there. We have these rights because we are human beings. Our human existence is far greater than any government that could possibly exist. That among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What does that mean? Well, these are rights that no government should attempt to take away. Now, they can do that. They can do it by sheer and brute force. But let's look at the idea of among these rights, life. See, Thomas Jefferson believed that the preservation of innocent life, not the destruction of it, was the first job of government. When we look at liberty, this is our natural element. This is our natural condition. We exercise our free wills responsibly in accord with the dictates of right reason and natural law. And as long as we're not harming other people, we have the right to do what we want. The pursuit of happiness. We don't guarantee happiness. But we have the right to pursue what's going to make us happy in life. As long as we're not harming or infringing on someone else's right. We do not exist to serve the government. That's going to be a revolutionary change. And the Declaration of Independence is going to be used over and over in other revolutions around the world. Another tenet 
that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Government exists to ensure and secure the rights of the people. And if government does not have the consent of the people it governs, then that government is not a legitimate government. Another tenet, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. Now this is important because it's explaining what our civic duty is. And as citizens, we have a responsibility and obligation that government serves as a tool of justice. We have a responsibility and obligation to constantly question government in order to try and keep it honest. We, the people, are the line between liberty and tyranny. And if we let our guard down, we will lose it. That's what we have to pay attention to. That's why people want to take away freedom of speech, and that's why censorship exists today. Governments long established should not be changed for light or transient causes. The Founding Fathers are saying that you don't overthrow government for BS reasons. You don't overthrow government because you're unhappy with the policies. Okay, that's what elections are for. And then the last tenet, when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is our right, it is our duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for our future security. When the government attempts to exercise absolute power, when they rule oppressively, and they attempt to suppress and deny our fundamental rights, the government has now become a tool of injustice. And as people in this society, it is our duty to overthrow that government and to make sure that we institute a new government that will respect the rights of the people and respect the value of the people. This is going to be a document to tell the world that people are no longer servants of their governments. You know, we need to understand this document and we need to assign it in schools. We need to read it ourselves. We need to understand this document because these are the cornerstones of the United States American political philosophy. And I even want to look at the last line of the declaration because I find it fascinating. What the founders did was truly amazing. You know, people want to tell me that exceptionalism, America is not exceptional. No, something unique was going on. Okay, we changed the course of human history. I mean, think about it logically. What would the world look like if the United States never existed? What would the world look like if we weren't an exceptional nation and we weren't a powerful nation? How many of you out there would rather live under a world dominated by China or a Russian-dominated world or a Turkish-dominated world? Okay, we have to recognize how great of a country we really are. And I think we recognize it by giving the Founding Fathers the credit they deserve. And for support of this declaration... With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, here's the thing. There's people out there, the ones that have disdain for the Founding Fathers that hate what the United States stands for. They say, well, the Founding Fathers didn't really care about the people. They thought the people were dumb. And they didn't care about this concept of liberty. What the Founding Fathers cared about is making money. And they figured if Britain was out of the picture, then they could be wealthy. But that's a lie. Once again, these people don't know American history, and yet they're trying to be the ones that could judge American history. And the myth is so easily dispelled. First of all, think about it logically. The Founding Fathers. We were going up against the most powerful military, the most well-trained, well-equipped military in the history of the world at that time. Okay? 
Think about it. Our founding fathers were not dumb people. Do you really believe they thought that we were actually going to win this thing? Do you really believe they thought a bunch of ragtag farmers who we couldn't even afford boots for, who Washington had to take money out of his own pocket to make sure he could feed his battalion? Do you really believe that we thought we were going to beat the British? The best they were hoping for was that some changes could be made, that incremental changes could be made, that we have more of a voice in the system. You know, another thing, many of the founding fathers were already wealthy. They were already well-respected in British circles. They didn't need to give that up. They didn't have to worry under a British system. Now think about it. They each signed their name on the Declaration of Independence and sent it to England. What were they doing? Well, essentially, they were signing their death sentence. That's what they were doing. So you have some of these wealthy, successful, well-respected people that are putting their name on this document. What do you think would have happened to them if we actually lost the American Revolution? Do you really think King George would have been like, ah, bygones be bygones. I'm going to pardon all of you. I understand why you were mad. Or do you think they would be getting their heads chopped off? They would be getting hung and tortured in the worst ways possible. So let's recognize the courage they had to sign this document, to send it over to Britain, and to fight this war. We need to give credit where credit should be given. And we shouldn't cheapen or try and denigrate what the Founding Fathers did. I mean, this 4th of July, we need to honor and recognize what they did and how this led America to being the most exceptional nation ever to exist. When we look at the American Revolution, something uncanny was going on. We have computer simulation models now, and if you put in all the variables, nine times out of ten, the British win the war. This is why many view the United States as an example of divine providence. This is why we hold it in high regard, why it's special. We should never have defeated the British, but we did. Not only did we defeat the British, we have grown to become the most powerful country in the history of the world. And now I get to why we're exceptional, why you should appreciate the United States, why you should be proud of the United States. We are the most powerful country in the history of the world to ever exist. There's no other empire that could ever match our power from history. And yet we abuse our power less, sometimes to the detriment of the United States. Look at Afghanistan. How long did Hamid Karzai, won two elections, allowed him to serve? He was a thorn in our side the whole time. Nouri al-Maliki, over in Iraq, same thing. We, Iraq had free and fair elections. They elected al-Maliki. Al-Maliki kept on criticizing the United States. It's not like we took him out and installed some puppet regime. Maybe that would have been more beneficial. Maybe it would have been our, in our interest to do that, but we didn't. We didn't take any of the oil. And when we look at it, every American living here in the United States today should be grateful. Most of the world is a cruel and ugly place. And no matter how bad your life may be here, and I understand we have our problems, whether it's financial problems, the drug addictions, abuse, there, there is problems in the United States. It's not perfect. But we're shielded from the horrors of what takes place each and every day overseas. Imagine living in a country where you hear July 4th every single night. Only it's not fireworks. It's an actual war going on. And for those that try and constantly denigrate the United States and what we stand for. Well, here's just some examples of what makes us such a great nation. The amount of people that we freed in the 19th and 20th century. Don't forget, when we look at the Civil War, there were Northerners 
that volunteered to keep the Union whole, to put a stop to slavery in the South. Don't forget that. We defeated uh, Nazi uh, Germany, fascist Italy, Imperial Japan. We saved countless from tyrannical governments. Another thing you'll probably never hear of, because you heard about how we have freed people, but one thing you won't hear is how the United States single-handedly, single-handedly cut the newly infected HIV and AIDS rate in Africa by 50%, and we cut malaria by 75 cents under the Bush administration. I mean, think about that. Cutting newly infected AIDS rates in Africa by 50% and cutting malaria by 75% under the Bush administration. And yet, President George, H., uh, President George W. Bush will never get credit for that. We've rebuilt nations that were ravaged in war. Okay, look at World War II. We destroyed Japan. Yeah, I recognize that. But we also rebuilt it. And then we took Japanese engineers, Japanese scientists, we brought them to America and showed them how to build things, how to make things. And then Japan took what they learned here in the United States and exported it back to their country. And what they did is started to make improvements of how can they make things better. And Japan is one of the most successful countries today. As a matter of fact, look during the Cold War. Look at all the countries that align themselves with the United States, whether it be South Korea, whether it's Japan, and look at how successful they've become. And then look at a country like, I don't know, North Korea, who align themselves with the Soviet Union, or Cuba. Where would you rather live? Think about that for a second. America is the most generous nation in the entire world. We provide more aid and charity around the world than almost every other country combined. That's every single year. And if you don't want to sit there and say, well, America's a wealthy nation, they should be doing it. Well, Saudi Arabia is pretty wealthy too, and they don't do it. But there's one example that stands out dramatically to me, and it happened in 2003. There was a devastating earthquake in the province of Bam, which is located in Iran. And the United States provided aid and assistance during that disaster. Now think about this. Iran, at the very least, is an adversary. Many view them as an enemy. I mean, there's some that want to go to war with Iran today. We have not had a good relationship since the 1979 Islamic Revolution. And yet, when an earthquake hit them, it was such a severe earthquake that we provided aid and assistance to an enemy. How many other nations would do that? How many? Name me another country that actually helps their enemy. You know, amazes me. And what really makes the United States exceptional is the fact that we don't sanitize our history. We do teach about the bad things the United States has done. Why? Because we want to educate future generations. We're not going to hide from our past. We recognize what we did and we recognize why it's wrong. And the reason that we're going to teach future generations of Americans about the atrocities we may have committed is to prevent these atrocities from ever happening again. Sadly, Unfortunately, in today's day and age, there's many Americans out there that actually know more about the negatives of the United States than they do the positives. There's more that know about the negative things the United States has done, and they've never read the United States Constitution, they've never read the Declaration of Independence, and they don't even know what this country really represents or stands for. So I wanted to do a little ode to the Declaration of Independence this July 4th, because I really think it's important that we get back to, to our roots. And I think we should all take a minute and reflect and be proud of this great nation. I want each and every one of you out there to have a happy and safe 4th of July. I want you to enjoy your celebrations. 
And as always, if there's a topic you want me to discuss, if there's a topic you want me to analyze, send me an email to podcast at PASreport.com, podcast at PASreport.com. If you want to know the sourcing I'm using for my information and my analysis, you could always go to the PAS Report website. But I want you to share this podcast with others. Okay, and I want you to take a moment and write a review on iTunes and other sites that this podcast is on in order to get the message out there. We need to start realizing what an exceptional nation the United States is. We need to be proud of the United States. We need to get our patriotism back. And we need to recognize that there has never, ever, ever been a country like the United States out there. I want to thank you for joining me. I want you to enjoy the rest of the week and stay safe this July 4th. Thank you for listening to the PAS Report Weekly Roundup Podcast. Podcast. Have a good one. Bye. Be sure to rate, share, and subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Also, visit PASReport.com and follow us on Twitter at PASReport.